welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and today we're going to do a solo podcast, just me, talking about a lot of the events of the last couple weeks. It was 100% my fault for the extended delay of the podcast. We were working out with the schedule, trying to get Taylor to talk about the Super Bowl, then I got sick, and Taylor got super busy, and then I stayed sick, and then I had a bunch of homework and tests and stuff, and just, it was bad timing all the way around, and also bad timing because a lot of really, really fun stuff was going on. So today, it's just going to be a, basically just like a stream of consciousness type, me just talking about the three big storylines or big things that have happened the last uh, two weeks. So recording this Valentine's Day morning, uh, February 14th. So something crazy has happened uh, this weekend. Uh, we record this on Friday morning. So the first thing that happened that we haven't had a chance just to talk about was uh, obviously the big game, the Super Bowl. If you've somehow missed it and don't know who won yet, uh, spoiler alert, the Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers uh, 31 to 20 and it was really just Patrick Mahomes' moment. It was the Mahomes magic because he was not playing that well for the first three quarters and he is like Steph Curry. I think that's the best comparison for Patrick Mahomes in sports in that he only needs a couple plays and a couple drives to get himself going and to completely change the narrative and basically win a win the game for his team. He really just then started to hit the the deep ball, hit Tyreek Hill on one, Demarcus Robinson, and once they kind of were able to get that deep ball going, it was they had all the momentum. Mahomes just wanted, just kept getting the ball and just kept scoring and scoring. And they were down 10 in the fourth quarter. They were down 20 to 10. And Patrick Mahomes came back and won them the game. And Andy Reid finally did it. He finally was able to win the big game. You're thinking like the whole time is they're down 20-10. Oh, my God, Andy Reid. He can't do it. He still can't do it. He, you know, in the big moment, his offense, his great offense, he's an offensive wizard, doesn't work. The The defense of the 49ers was just too much for Mahomes. Andy Reid, again, just can't win the big game. And instead, it just was the Patrick Mahomes show in in the fourth quarter. And this is what happens with the, 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 the coach-quarterback duo. You talk a lot about Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick wouldn't be considered the same type of football genius if you didn't have Tom Brady leading a lot of those fourth-quarter drives to win those all the games he's won. And it's the same thing now. I think the narrative will start to change around Andy Reid because he finally has. Now, he's had a bunch of good quarterbacks. He had Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick. Uh, when he was in Philly, was really good. Alex Smith is very is, is a very solid quarterback, but Patrick Mahomes is better than all those guys. He's just fundamentally better than all those guys. 
And now Andy Reid has a quarterback who can go out and win all these games and truly just put it on his shoulders and win, win the game. So that's new. So I think maybe the narrative will start to switch as we get later in as we get later in his coaching career, having a quarterback who can go and win a lot of these close big games, uh, that maybe the narrative will change about Andy Reid. And the decade is lining up for them. The decade is lining up for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid to just dominate with the Kansas City Chiefs because Mahomes is the best player in football, hands down. Not just the best quarterback, the best player in football. Tom Brady is going to retire eventually. He's 42 years old. He may play one or two more seasons, but Tom Brady's not going to be playing in 2029. You know, he's not going to be 51 years old playing quarterback in the NFL. Eventually he will retire. And the Ravens were really good, but I'm not 100% sold on Lamar yet. Uh, He's you know still super young and he's got to still work on a lot of things in his game and the Texans I've never sold on Bill O'Brien because Bill O'Brien I don't think is a very good coach and so they're going to have to change the coaching staff there and you never know who the new hire is going to be and if it's going to be better or worse because they have the talent with Deshaun Watson but but the Chiefs are really lining up to really dominate this entire decade because. They have the best quarterback. And I saw a great tweet because Patrick Mahomes is up for a contract extension. Just talk, could he be the first $200 million player in the NFL? And all these things of, oh, well, what will happen to the Chiefs if Mahomes gets hurt and he's making $40 million? Well, if Mahomes was making $10 and he got hurt, the Chiefs season is over. And if he was making $40 million and he gets hurt, the Chiefs season is also over. So it doesn't really matter. Like, you got to pay the man what he's worth, and maybe he'll be like Brady and will take a little bit of a team discount to help them fill out the rest of the roster. But, you know, who knows? Because he definitely deserves the $200 million or as much as he could possibly get. On the flip side, just talk about San Francisco very quickly before moving on. I don't want to label Kyle Shanahan as a choker, but this is now the second time in his coaching career that he has blown a double-digit lead in the Super Bowl. He was obviously the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons when they were obviously very famously up 28-3 to over the Patriots, and Kyle Shanahan didn't run the ball when all they needed was to just run the ball a couple of times and kill the clock. And they didn't do that again this time. And there's just a bunch of weird decisions throughout the game. Like at the end of the first half, uh, not using the timeouts and not really being aggressive until it was very, very late. It was, there's just some weird coaching decisions, but it, I think it all stemmed down to the fundamental fact that I don't think he trusts Jimmy. I don't think he trusts Jimmy. And when you compare it to, obviously, the Chiefs, the Chiefs have so much trust in Mahomes, they're never out of it. They're down 10. They're down 20. There always feels like right in the game. But the Niners, you can just tell by the way that they call their plays, do not trust Jimmy in these moments, in these spots. 
to make these plays and they're going to say all that they want about how much they trust him and how much they trust him. But in the Super Bowl, in the biggest moments, you're able to tell a lot about what guys think of their players. And I don't think they trust Jimmy. I don't think they do. And I think that they had a, if they had a chance to take a superstar-level draft quarterback prospect like a Trevor Lawrence or a, you know, they won't have the opportunity to take Burrow, but if there's some talk about Tua's medicals not being 100% and he's starting to fall, it wouldn't absolutely shock me if San Francisco tried to upgrade the quarterback position. Moving on, the NBA trade trade deadline. So a fun fact is that Kelly and I started the podcast last February uh, on trade deadline day. So this is kind of the one-year anniversary of the podcast, doing it for an entire year. It's kind of crazy to think about. Uh, and the trade deadline is always one of our favorite days of the year because of the hard deadline. It's like 3 or 4 o'clock Eastern time. You got Woj and Shams battling out on Twitter for all the scoops and just these trades come flying in and you always want to see, oh, Woj tweeted again and you think it's going to be a blockbuster and then it's basically two salary dump type deals for to get some team under the, the salary cap. You know, one guy got traded for cash so, so that they wouldn't have to pay the the luxury tax. But then every once in a while there is a big blockbuster at the trade deadline. So this year, we basically had two blockbuster trades. We had the Warriors trading D'Angelo Russell to the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the Warriors got back Andrew Wiggins, and they got back a very lightly protected first-round pick. This trade was really interesting to me because the Warriors obviously lose Kevin Durant to Brooklyn this offseason, and they made it a sign-and-trade, and they get back this asset in D'Angelo Russell. And the fit immediately didn't make a ton of sense because then they also had to sign him to a max-level contract for whatever his whatever his max, I think it's like 120 or 130. He had to be, so, so they had to sign him to that. What didn't make a lot of sense is that he's a very, very ball-dominant player, and the Warriors don't play that style. And, you know, Durant got criticized a lot for his ISO, heavy ISO play at very early in the goal in his Golden State tenure, and they, here they are. They bring in another guy who's very ISO heavy and fundamentally just not as good as Durant at it. And he also plays the same position as Steph and Clay. So, especially with Clay being out with his torn ACLs, okay, let's see how he works with Steph. Maybe just having multiple ball handlers will help in a lot of ways. Then Steph obviously gets hurt, breaks his hand. He's out. So then it's like, okay, it's the D'Angelo Russell show. What can we do with him? And they're just absolutely horrendous, just terrible. And it was clear that from very quickly into the season that with all the rumors, because with because with these types of rumors, there's always where there's smoke, there's fire. And clearly, very, very early on, the Warriors said, he's just not right for us. 
And with the, his contract and his playing style, when those guys come back and the team that was super interested in him over the summer and the team that was super interested in him now was the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's apparently very good friends with their superstar, Carl Anthony Towns. And I think this move was partially designed to keep Towns happy so that Towns doesn't become the next disgruntled, quote-unquote, superstar who forces his way out of a smaller market. And they were able to get off the Andrew Wiggins contract. They had to sacrifice a first-round pick as well, but they were able to get rid of Andrew Wiggins, who was very, very, I'd say, inconsistent during his time in Minnesota because he's this guy with all this potential, and when you watch him... You're like, why aren't you 15% better? Why do you take such bad shots? But then he like figures it out for a couple of weeks or a month, and you're like, this is Andrew Wiggins. This is everything we want. And then he goes back to exactly what he does, which is bad, long, mid-range, plays terrible defense. And it'll be very interesting to see because Andrew Wiggins has never played in basically a meaningful uh He's never really played in a meaningful game in his professional career. Now going to the Warriors, this season won't matter at all. He'll just get to figure out that playing style. And then once he uh and then and then once he is back with Stephen Clay, it'll be I actually think he might be really good. I'm I'm optimistic. I don't think it will be great. I think it will be a test, but I really don't think Draymond Green is going to let him be terrible on defense. He shoots well from the corners. He's basically going to get corner threes. It's the Stephen Clay show. And I think as long as he buys into being a role player, this trade could work out really well for the Warriors because they get another super, they, they get a guy who they think can be like a young Andre, a very, very young Andre Iguodala. Is that a great athlete? a decent offensive player who with, you know, hopefully he buys in and plays very good perimeter defense. And obviously he'll be nowhere near as good as Andre Iguodala was, but maybe he can be like Harrison Barnes was at the beginning of the, uh, at the beginning of the dynasty. And I don't think this trade's going to work out for the T-Wolves just because I'm not a D-Lo fan. And, Okay, they they have the two friends together, but what have either one of them done really to help winning in the NBA? The next trade I want to talk about is this Rockets experiment. So the Rockets traded Clint Capella as a part of a huge four-team deal, and I'm not going to go through all the details because it's a little mind I mean, There's like 12 or 13 players flying around, a lot of guys who people have never even heard of got traded. But basically, the Rockets trade Clint Capella to the Hawks. And the Rockets are going all in on this ex- small ball experiment where they're basically starting P.J. Tucker at the f- at center and not playing anybody really over six foot six or six foot seven, And they're just spreading you all out, spreading out the defense, heavy, heavy, heavy ISO, five out, and just jacking up as much threes, and now James Harden has the entire lane to drive. And it made sense that they got rid of Capella because they need to get off his contract because they're paying Westbrook's huge deal, 
and Harden's huge deal. And also, they've really gone away from the pick and rolls. It's, it's like you would think that they would really do a lot more pick and rolls to get Harden into the perfect matchups. But really, against big guys, but really Harden, A, can just ISO on anybody. And B, a lot of times they want him on a perimeter guy who's just not very good. Not necessarily the, the big guy. So they wanted just to clear Capel out just for more space. And this is really interesting because it's not going to help them defensively because they're going to have very, very little defensive rebounding now. They have no rim protection. And James Harden and Russell Westbrook are both at this point in their careers for the predominant period of time that they're on the court. I think they're not as bad, but they're just, say, uninterested in playing defense. And that's really tough when you don't have a seven-foot shot blocker uh, who can clear up a lot of your mistakes. And it'll be... I don't know how well it's going to work because th- they'll make the playoffs because it's James Harden and Russell Westbrook. But when you get to the playoffs and you play the seven same team seven times in a two-week period, I don't think it's going to work. I think they're going to be first round and out, and I don't know what they do this offseason. I don't know how they get better because they could bring in now. They have a little more cap space. They could bring in someone, but the Westbrook contract is a huge, huge dent in what their plans are, and you know, you have to start wondering, can you really win championships with the style that they play with James Harden? with the lack of ball movement and just the threes and the hunting fouls and the threes and the layups. It's, I don't know. It'll it'll be very interesting. The next team I want to talk about is the Miami Heat. I've been wanting to talk about them for a few weeks now because are they really contenders now? Because they pick up Andre Iguodala and they pick up Jay Crowder. They moved off some pieces like Justice Winslow and, and, and a couple other guys, but really they kept their whole core intact and they added these two wing guys. And all these people are saying that they're contenders now. And I just don't really see it, mainly because of the guys they got. Is that I don't think Jay Crowder flips the narrative or changes the narrative so much that he is like the missing piece, you know, that he's the guy who's going to take them over the top. And uh, there's, and I actually, and, 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 you know, I like Crowder. I, th- I think he's a solid player and he'll definitely help them, but he's not the piece that's going to take them way over Milwaukee or even Toronto in the East this, this year. And the other thing is too, is that, uh, when they pick up Andre Iguodala, he's a great name to pick up, but it's just how much does he have left? How much is he really going to help them in the playoff? How healthy is he, first of all, and how healthy can he be going forward? Because he's missed time the last two postseasons. He's old now because he's got to be, he's in his mid-30s. And... He won't be playing as much or as needed, really, as he was in, in Golden State. But it's really, you know, if you're picking up this guy, Andre 
Iguodala, you need him. You're thinking you're going to be a big part of what you do in, in the playoffs in guarding Giannis or Pascal Siakam or Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, that he's going to be one of the guys who's going to really get a lot of chances to guard him if it's not Jimmy Butler. And the key is you need to have Iguodala on the court and you need him healthy on the court. And I just don't know or don't think that can really... I'm just not convinced that will happen. I'm rooting for it to happen. I really like this Miami team. They're a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I don't know. I think if they were able to get Gallinari, this would be a completely different conversation because Gallinari, I think, does take them another level up. I think that they improved a half step. I think Milwaukee was a level, a step and a half ahead of them, and they only got a half step better. I think if they were able to get Gallinari, then they would move up a whole step, but I think they only went up a half step with these trades just because of the uncertainty about what Iguodala will be able to do over the whole rest of the whole season from a physical health perspective. Shockingly, the last trade I want to talk about was the Knicks made a smart basketball-related decision. It's almost hard to believe and hard to talk about because it just doesn't feel like it's real. But the Knicks traded their one big asset at the deadline, Marcus Morris, and they basically were in a bidding war between the Lakers and the Clippers. And they got the Clippers to give up a first-round pick for... Marcus Morris, and this was exactly what they wanted, exactly what they needed. They needed just another pick. Now, it's in the late, it's probably in the late 20s, so in a weak draft, so it's not like they're bringing, so don't start thinking that they're going to be able to bring in like the next Patrick Ewing with this pick, but they'll be able, basically just as, it's another asset that they could say, hey, we're making smart basketball-related decisions. We're getting off our best assets in a year that we're, again, absolutely horrendous. And we're getting draft capital that we can then flip to other teams in a deal to get other players or that we could take and try to get a nice, promising young player. And that way you can appeal to free agents and say, hey, these are the things we've been doing. These are the assets we have. We can go out and trade these assets if you want to come here or trade these assets for you. I'm still not convinced that a guy like Devin Booker will be that happy in Phoenix for for that long. The Knicks can then say, okay, we have two first-round picks this year. Does that move the needle at all for, for Devin Booker? Or another guy who may or not be, quote-unquote, unhappy or teams who are looking to rebuild like trying to go get Aaron Gordon or C.J. McCollum or some of these guys, you know, I they don't think it's likely that they'll be able to go get Brad Beal, but they now have the assets to be in the conversation. Now when they call these teams, it won't be a joke and get an immediate hang up, but it's now it's, okay, we have to listen because they do have these two first-round picks and Mitchell Robinson or R.J. Barrett to talk about for whoever the better player currently is. 
And for the Clippers, this definitely helps them. This helps them. They add another super tough perimeter guy to go with Pat Beverly and obviously Kawhi and Paul George. I wish that they got a little bit more size because I think that's where they're really lacking in Los Angeles this year. Is just a, a big guy who can shoot for the end of the game. But I like this move. He's a good three-point shooter. He can You can put him on a lot of different perimeter guys. He can switch and not get roasted by James Harden or Russell Westbrook. Uh, he's fine on LeBron. He's as good as he could be on LeBron. So he just is super physical. He makes shots at home. Like He's a solid pickup. He'll come off the bench for him. He'll be very solid. And it's exactly what type of move the Clippers need to make to really go out and win the championship because they're going for it. They can tell their fans. They can tell, you know, they're making a sign to the whole NBA that, hey, we're going for it. We're trying to win this year. And on the flip side, the other Los Angeles team, do they have enough? The Lakers did not make any moves. They obviously think that they have enough with LeBron and Anthony Davis and the way that their team is constructed now with Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Danny Green and Alex Caruso, Rondo, JaVale and Dwight. I don't think that they had enough. They'll be heavy in the buyout market thinking, you know, J.R. Smith or Tristan Thompson if he gets bought out. Uh, the rumors, Darren Collison, he's an L.A. guy. But I am very doubtful that this really will be nothing that they do because I don't think that this team that they have right now can win the championship. I'm very surprised they didn't trade Kuzma for some for I understand he's a good asset on a very, very small contract, but he's your only asset left. You need to be able to go out and get somebody with your assets to win the championship. And Kyle Kuzma, they could have improved upon him. They could have turned Kuzma into a better piece to help them win this year, and they didn't. And I don't know if it's because of Kuzma's celebrity because of playing in Los Angeles, but or maybe Kuzma's just not as valuable as we all think he is because his celebrity from Los Angeles has made him into this Instagram, Twitter icon, and we all think he's way, way better than he actually is. So the Lakers won't stand pat. They'll add someone in the bio market, but I think that they're going to regret looking back, maybe not being a little more aggressive in the trademark. Because last year, when you look at Masai Ujiri and the Toronto Raptors, said, I have a team that can win the championship. I'm going for it. They pick up Marcus Saul. He said, I'm going for it. And they go and they actually do win the title. You look at the Lakers this year, they didn't make a I'm going for a move. We talk about this a lot in baseball. I'm going to talk about baseball in a second. But a lot of times the midseason trades in baseball at the trade deadline is mainly just as a signal from the front office to the clubhouse and to the locker room that we believe in you guys. We think we can make a deep run. We're proving it and we and we got your back. We're adding reinforcements. We're basically proving, hey, we're going to be buyers, not sellers, or standing pat because we believe in you guys. And the Lakers didn't buy anyone. They didn't. They weren't buyers. They weren't sellers. They just stood pat. So I guess it's some faith that, hey, we think you guys can win. You don't need anyone else. But I don't know if, if, if they bring in someone else and 
it might have helped just a little bit with the you know new energy in, in that room as well over the 82 games. But we'll see how it works out. That's all for the NBA trade deadline I want to talk about. Uh, I don't have a lot of thoughts on Andre Drummond to Cleveland. They didn't really give up that much for him at all. But also I don't find Andre Drummond that good or that valuable. Uh, I don't really know what Cleveland's doing, but I didn't really want to talk and be like, you know, I didn't really understand what they did there. Uh, um, so instead I'm going to flip over to another trade. This one happened in baseball. I think it's the, maybe the most consequential trade of the last five to ten years, which is that the Boston Red Sox traded Mookie Betts and David Price to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I don't, and the sole purpose of why that they traded Mookie was to get under the luxury tax because the previous baseball front office made absolutely horrendous deals. They signed Nathan Uvalde for $60 million, way too much. They gave $50 million more to David Price than any other team was offering. They they just have all these contracts, and the ownership said we're not paying the repeater luxury tax. So this new... And they fired Dombrowski and they bring in these new guys and basically with the mandate of get under the luxury tax. And there's two options because Mookie Betts in arbitration is made twenty seven is making twenty seven million dollars this year. There's two options. Because Nathan Uvaldi has no trade value. You gotta trade David Price, or you gotta trade Mookie Betts, or you gotta trade sorry, three options. Trade David Price, Mookie Betts, or JD Martinez. And the Red Sox said, we're, we're trading Mookie. Because Price, you still have to pay a bunch of, a bunch, large portion, of, portion of, of his salary. And they basically chose Mookie over JD, probably because they thought they could get more back for Mookie. Mookie Betts is the second best player in baseball. And some may argue he, he's the best player in baseball. That I think he's second best behind Mike Trout and the the wins above replacement stats back that up. He's a World Series champion. He's an MVP. He's a gold glover. And he is now on the Dodgers because the Red Sox didn't want to pay the luxury tax. They didn't want to pay for it. And they based, and they used David Price's contract to basically dump David Price's contract, they had to. They, the Dodgers also got Mookie Betts, and the Dodgers aren't even paying for all of Price's contract. The Red Sox are still paying for half of Price's contract. Yeah, they got back some prospects, you know, Alex Verdugo and a, and a couple prospects, but the Dodgers pay for half of David Price's salary, which makes him a good pitcher, value wise, because he's not thirty million dollars anymore. He's just fifteen. And they get the second best player in baseball and immediately the best player in the National League who can play the outfield and hit outstandingly, run the bases, and is a champion. He's a World Series champion. He can bring some of that postseason experience and playoff moxie to a team that has made the NLCS three or four years in a row and they're really desperate to get over the hump. The Dodgers now will probably have the best one through eight batting order in the whole National League. And you assume when they play in the AL, they'll have the best one through nine. They have 
Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts. Bellinger won the NL MVP last year. Betts won the AL MVP in 2018. And not only do they have those two guys, but they have a bunch of other really good players. They got Justin Turner and Corey Seager and Max Muncy and all these guys, Gavin Lux, and, and, and all these guys where you're just like, one through eight or one through nine, there is no easy at bat. There is no easy out because not only can these guys hit for power, but they can hit for contact. They don't strike out that much. They got speed. And they're just a really, really well-built team. And the Red Sox, as a Yankee fan, first and foremost, this makes me just ecstatic to see. Just so, so happy because I don't like them at all. It makes me so happy to never have to face Mookie Betts uh, in Fenway, again, where he always killed the Yankees or at Yankee Stadium, that if we're playing Mookie, it'll just it'll have to be in the World Series, basically. And I just love watching the Red Sox make bad decisions as a Yankee fan, and, and I'm dubbing this the Mookie curse uh, because the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth so the Red Sox win the 1918 World Series, trade Babe Ruth in the next year because they didn't want to, you know, because they're famously, they didn't have the money to pay f- to, to pay him. The Red Sox win the 2018 World Series, and then they trade their best player, Mookie Betts, because they didn't want to pay him. So we're calling this the Mookie curse. Hopefully it creates 86 years of no more championships for Boston. But baseball's a crazy game where the Red Sox may make the playoffs this year. Who knows? The, you know, the Nationals lose Bryce Harper and go win the World Series. Like, baseball's a crazy, crazy, weird game. Uh, but I'm personally just happy as a Yankee fan not to have to face Mookie Betts 50 times a season. And then finally, we got the NBA All-Star game, the All-Star weekend this coming up. Uh, you got the celebrity game tonight. You got the skills contest, the three point contest, and the dunk contest Saturday night. And then we got the game on Sunday. On Sunday night, I think we got Team LeBron's going to win. He picked a way better team, mainly because he picked guys from the West. Uh, and but fundamentally, I just want to give a big shout out if you're watching the three point contest. You're going to see a guy, Duncan Robinson, friend of the podcast, great guy. Great player. He's our pick at the the double-double to win the NBA three-point contest. And pretty soon he will no longer be the guy who's known for, oh, this guy started playing at Division Three. He's a prep school. You know, people stop talking about that and start just talking about how freaking good he is, how good of a shooter he is, how good of a player he is, the improvement. And that will become the story once he is the NBA three-point champion. So hope everyone has a great weekend. Take care and make it a great day.